Every single one of us tries to fill this void that only Jesus can fill. We try to drink things uh, that don't satisfy, that only Jesus can give us the living water, that Jesus can only satisfy our thirst. And so we saw in John chapter 4 where Jesus at the woman at the well, I mean, we've heard this story several times, but the woman at the well coming at noonday, right, where most people would come early in the morning, not in the heat of the day, but early in the morning, uh, we, we may have a picture of what this woman looks like, right, and, and judging, right, and I'm guilty of this because I, I judge those people, I, I am, and so the Lord is always working on me, but Jesus exposes her thirst. Jesus shows her that she is thirsty when she is trying to fill that void with other things. And so it's not only the woman at the well, but it's us. We're in this story. We're the ones trying to fill our thirst, satisfy our thirst with whatever that comes our way. And then we saw that for a moment, it may satisfy. For a second, we do feel fulfilled, but soon thereafter, we feel unsatisfied yet again. And the amazing thing, the amazing thing about our Lord and Savior is that he offers her living water. He offers her this living water that a well would grow inside of her and spring to eternal life. Offers this. And not only to her, but also to us offers it. And then not only this living water lasts for a moment, but it's a lasting satisfaction. And so just like Salome was just baptized just moments ago, and I love that. I love that she took time. I love that she considered the cost. I think so often today that we don't consider the cost when we come to Christ, that we say a prayer, uh, we get wet, and we say amen at the right time, right? At the end of the prayer, we say amen, and we get patted on the back and say, good job. And we show up to church in our slacks or our jeans or our shorts or whatever it would be, dresses, We bring our Bibles, right? But we don't consider the cost of what it means to be a disciple. And if you read the rest of Luke 14, I'd encourage you to do, is that we have to consider the cost. We can't just start building a tower. I mean, imagine. I mean, obviously, none of us are going to go out and build a tower this afternoon. At least I hope not. That'd be kind of strange. Uh, but you were going to go build a house. You would have to count the cost. You would have to understand how much money will we need because if you were just had enough money to lay down the foundation and then just rubble, well, yeah, your neighbors would laugh at you. And the scripture tells us, mocks us. So let us consider the cost. So this morning, as we look at uh, John chapter 4, and I encourage you to open your Bibles to John chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, grab that. Take that home. That's yours. Uh, if you know someone that needs a Bible, grab that. Take that. Give that to them. Uh, what a wonderful gift that would be. Uh, and so today, what we're going to focus on is Jesus saves. So we saw last week that only Jesus satisfies our thirst. Only Jesus can do that. But the second part of this passage, we're going to look at 16 through 26, is that Jesus saves. And only him saves. And so... Uh, let us read John chapter 4, 16 through 26. It says this. So remember, Jesus had just told her about the living water, and 
she said, sir, verse 15, give me this water. Can't you just hear that in her voice? And that's another thing is, uh, what gospel are we preaching? Are we preaching a gospel that people are dying, that are thirsty for? You see, the, hear it? Give me this water, right? Uh, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said, oh, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Right? Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Yet again, and we will, let us keep coming to you. Let us keep running to you. And so, Father, as we just read in this text, what a wonderful, wonderful thing we have. What a wonderful, not just a story, but lessons that we can learn, that we can glean from, that we can walk away and change. That we can walk away Knowing you. How incredible is that? How incredible is it that God did not send down a manual for us to read, but he sent a man. A man that lived a perfect, sinless life. A man that willingly went to the cross for our sins. Right, The one who knew no sin became sin. Died a death that all of us deserved. So that we could be brought in a right relationship with God. But we forget that sometimes. We neglect that a lot. So, Father, as we just think about the gospel and we think about what it means for our lives, let, us be, let it be sweet. And, Father, the best part of the story is not that you died on a cross. Yes, you took our sin, your son did, but the third day you rose him. You raised him from the ground. And he is alive, seated at the throne. Right? You have this thing rigged, it's won, it's done, it's beautiful. And so, Father, let us rest in that. When things seem chaotic, when things seem stressful, let us rest in your goodness. Let us rest in your unchangeableness. That, Father, you are the same as you were with Abraham 
as you were with Moses, as you were with David, as you are with us today. We're the ones that change. We're the ones that are flakes, not you. We praise you for that. In Christ's name I pray, amen. And so in the month of July, I did a lot of driving. I drove to Chattanooga or Lookout Mountain, Georgia for church camp, and then I came back for a week and then went to uh, Centricid, which is in Bolivar, Missouri. Not missing much there, folks. Uh, <laughs> and then I, uh, we went to, uh, then I came back and went to another week of camp, um, and we served in Windermere. Windermere, maybe some of you have been to Windermere out there in Roach, Missouri. I don't know why they named it that, but they did. Uh, but driving uh, in the vans, in the church vans, in the 15-passenger vans, you have a lot of window time, right? And so as you look out the window, you're just looking at cars, and uh, a lot, I notice that a lot of cars have bumper stickers. A lot of these cars have bumper stickers in the sense that there are, there are some funny bumper stickers, right? Like uh, Alabama bumper stickers. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> there are funny ones. There are crude ones. There are political ones. And there are personal ones, right? And so all of them have a message. And it, when you're driving, you get time to think. And it got me thinking about the different message people claim to be Christianity, right? Many, many of them would look great on a bumper sticker, but good luck finding them in the Bible. I think one version, uh, one popular version of Christianity says that God wants you to be happy just as you are. In other words, Christianity is nothing more than a spiritualized journey of self-affirmation. Another version says, and this is what we, we, I think what I struggle with, is you do your part and God will do his which suggests that God and I are equals, partners, in accomplishing my salvation. But is this really the Christian message? And the best way to answer that is, what is the Christian message? What is the gospel? What is the message that we are proclaiming? And so begin to think right now, begin to ponder, what message are you portraying to others? What message are we proclaiming as Christ's followers? And I believe the message is simple. It's, like I said last week, I think I said that sometimes it seems too simple. But it is turning to Jesus Christ. Just turning to him. Trusting him. In this conversation with the woman at the well in Samaria, Jesus delivers and defines the greatest message in the world. Uh, you can't boil down Christianity to a bumper sticker. It just can't happen. It's impossible to capture the depths of Christianity in a single phrase, right? We may have coffee mugs, we have scripture on our walls, uh, we have t-shirts. But in this conversation, Jesus focuses on three main truths. If this woman is to probably understand what it means to follow Jesus, if this woman is to consider the cost of following Christ, let's take her out of the equation and put us if we are to follow Christ, if we are to understand what it means, if we are to, to consider the cost of what it means to follow Jesus, then we must understand these three, I believe, simple truths. We must understand sin, the Savior, and salvation. Right? So the first one is that every person is a sinner. 
Every person is a sinner. Jesus focuses her attention on the sin that makes her guilty before God, right? What is she? She is an adulteress. She has not only been married five times, but in fact, she is currently living uh, immorally. She has moved in with a man who is not her husband. And this is what I want us to understand. This is what I want us to see today. It is, the problem is not her particular sin. Idolatry. Adultery. Her problem is that she is a sinner. And that she has broken the covenant with a holy God. So, with her sin, with her particular sin, we can see. Right? And a lot of us are good at hiding our sin the ones, things we struggle with, and everything on the outside seems perfect. Everything on the outside seems like, oh man, they really got together, right? When in reality, we are wrestling every single day. And no one, this is, the, this is the sad thing, is that no one knows. No one is there to hold you accountable. No one is there to pray with you. No one is there to be in those times. And yes, Christ is there with you, no doubt, but we also have this idea of community. And so we see, we have other people out there in sin. My brother, he, uh, he'd rather be homeless and on meth than live in a house. We can see his sin, right? We can look at it like, oh, okay, yeah. I see that. He is placing meth on the altar and, instead of God, right? And so we do that. We're just better at it, right? We do that. We're just better at putting on a show. Our, 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 our sin doesn't maybe uh, take hold of our life. So the problem is that she is a sinner. She has broken a covenant with God of the universe and lives in rebellion against him. And that's all of us. Everyone is a sinner. And so sin is the starting point of the Christian message. From the the beginning of humanity's story, when sin entered the world, this is where the message starts. And so maybe we shouldn't start our gospel message with the Romans Road, which is great, but maybe we should start in Genesis 1-1 and go from there. See, the pages of history written in bright and vivid strokes of rebellion against God. Unless we understand our own sin and our identity as lawbreakers, the following truths won't matter. Right? Thomas Watson, a famous Puritan pastor, and when I say famous, I mean maybe famous just to me, I don't know. <laughs> he says this, and this is, listen to this. He says, till sin is sweet, Christ, or, oh wait, I'm sorry. Till sin is bitter, till sin is bitter, Right? Christ will not be sweet. Till sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Until the woman understands, until we understand the depth of our sin, we will not long for the salvation Jesus offers. The gospel without sin is no gospel at all. Yet around the world, a sinless, condemned, free message is being held out as the Christian message. But without an awareness of our standing before God, that we are guilty rebels who fully deserve punishment, right? if we don't understand that, then grace is meaningless. 
where there is no recognition of sin, there will be no joy. See, true joy comes when we understand that we were enemies of God who have been reconciled to him. The bumper sticker Christianity says, God wants you to be happy just as you are, is a lie. It is, an, it is impossible for you to be happy just as you are. You're a sinner in need of rescuing. The, the Bible, this is what the Bible says about you. The Bible describes you as dead, estranged, blind, sick, and enslaved. How happy does that sound? And I know what you're thinking. I mean, like, man, Dale, like, lighten up. It's August. Kids are going back to school. Let's, let's just tone it down. But it's not fun to talk about sin. It's not fun to talk about where we're struggling or where we're failing. But if we don't understand the basis, basics of Christianity, then, then we've lost it. Then we have, there's no point. We must take an honest look at our heart. Any message that ignores the realities of human sin is a lie. And just as, just like the woman at the well, we are all sinners. We have all broken the covenant of God. One of my good friends, Charles Spurgeon, he says this. He says, too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of the Savior. He who has stood before his God, convicted and condemned with a rope around his neck, is a man to weep for joy when he is pardoned. To hate the evil which has been, get, has been forgiven him and to live to the honor of the Redeemer by whose blood we have been cleansed. Until we understand that we have a rope around our neck, Charles Spurgeon says, and that God has pardoned us from that sin. Right? We are on death row. We are heading, Jesus says, for destruction. But Jesus offers us living water. Jesus offers us life. And he offers it to everyone. Not just St. Louis, but everyone. So if we don't understand sin, we will never understand the message of Jesus Christ. But when we start to understand that we are rotten to the core, and that, that this sin has been eating away inside of us like a cancer, we will not be ready for the next truce. But if you are ready, I hope you are, the second one is this, is, and this is uh, in John 4, 25 and 26. Jesus saves us from our sin. Jesus saves us from our sin, right? In, in many ways, if you read the Gospels, I love reading the Gospels. In many ways, the Gospels are great. And John's whole purpose of God, the Gospel of John is found in uh, John 20, verse 31, Oh, we can read 30 because 30 is good too. But write that down. You can look at it later. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. Right? And so John wrote this book. And this is Jesus' message to the woman. Once she arrives to the understanding that she is a sinner, she needed to understand that he was there to save her. 
In the earlier part of the conversation, Jesus told her about the living water. The first thing he did was point, out, point her need and then to a solution. Look at, let me remind you in John chapter 4, verse 10. It said, Jesus answered him, if you knew the gift of God, right? If we knew the gift, just think about it. If we knew the gift, we're trying to fill our lives with other things, but if we knew the gift, we have tasted and seen. That's what's so boggling to me sometimes. I'm like, oh, just get it. Just understand it. I could just understand it for you. If you knew what God was offering, how great it is of God, who it was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of, the, drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into her eternal life. And so salvation from her sin was only possible as she came to the right understanding of who Jesus Christ is. She needed to understand he was the Messiah, the one sent by God to rescue the people from sin. See, no man or woman can be saved apart from Jesus Christ. He is the only way to salvation. This has been the message of God since the beginning. The beginning of the Bible, the beginning of time. When mankind first sinned in the Garden of Eden... What did God do? He promised he would send a savior to rescue the people from their sin. Over and over and over throughout Israel's history, uh, there's a promise. This promise was portrayed. This is why Jesus told the woman in verse 22 that salvation is from the Jews. He's not saying that only Jews can be saved, but the message of salvation came from the Jews. The Old Testament Jewish scriptures were God's way of revealing this promised salvation in Jesus Christ. He is also referring to God's promise in Abraham, to Abraham in Genesis 12. Right? When God promised Abraham a son, he told them. You remember in Genesis 12, 3? All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. From the seed of Abraham, the blessing of salvation would come to the people. Not just the Jews. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're a male or a female, whether you're a child, no matter what your nationality is, it doesn't matter. See, God promised a worldwide Savior, and Jesus is the only one who can, be, who can fulfill that. Christianity is both inclusive and exclusive. And what I mean by that, it's inclusive because the invitation extends to everyone. Everyone everywhere needs Jesus, and the death of Jesus Christ was enough to save all people from all generations. Right? But it's also exclusive because there's only one way, only one way to be saved. And I know that sounds really narrow-minded in 2019. Right? But there's only one way. We, we can't be apologetic for that. We have to show people the way, that Jesus is the only way. And, and, and Acts 4.12 says that only one name, only one name can bring salvation, Jesus Christ. 
Christianity says Jesus is the only way to God. If you come to Jesus, he will get you home. He is the only road that leads to the presence of God. He is the only door into God's house. Jesus is the all-sufficient and only Savior we need. And the last thing we see this morning is that salvation comes through faith in the Savior. When Jesus points out this woman's sin, her first thought was that Jesus would want her to go to Jerusalem and worship at the temple in verse 20. She thought that salvation was something that she did, but Jesus instructs her about true salvation. Salvation is not something that we do, but it is something that God has done for us. He has saved us. See, many times in verse 23 and 24, uh, people interpret this referring to what Christians do on a Sunday morning, how we worship as a congregation. I think this misses the point. The context of these remarks is not a corporate worship service, but an explanation of a gospel to a non-Christian. Notice the words, in spirit and in truth. In verse 24, uh, you see those words, and then in, if we just look up the page, or maybe on the other page, in John 3.31, it says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth, and he who speaks in in, in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. Right? And so John is describing Jesus and points out that Jesus is a reliable witness to what God's desire because, why is Jesus a reliable witness? Because Jesus has been with God and he bears witness to what he has seen and what he has heard. However, despite the reliability of Jesus, no one received his testimony. We see in 33 and 34, if you look, of John chapter 3. Whoever receives this testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. See, to worship God in spirit and truth means we have received the truth, the testimony about who Jesus Christ is. And on top of that, listen to this, we have received the Spirit. See, in this passage, Jesus is describing salvation. We turn from the lies and the errors of this world and embrace the truths about Jesus. And we receive the Spirit. And this is amazing, who then dwells inside each one of us. Think about that. The Spirit of God dwells and each one of you who believe that you are a sinner and that Jesus and Jesus alone offer salvation, God dwells inside you. That is a truth, that is a promise from the scriptures. A lot of times we believe, we don't believe that. We live, and, and by the way, why I can say this is because of the way we live. We don't believe that God dwells inside of us. Jesus says this, in effect, Jesus has come to bring salvation, true salvation, to make people worshipers of God. They have turned from self-worship, uh, vowing allegiance to their own efforts, their own desires, their own glory, and have knelt in obedience and allegiance to the one true God. 
The only way people turn from self-worship and to, and to worship or God worship from rebellion to obedience is by embracing the truth about Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit. This is the salvation Jesus brings. And this whole discussion on salvation is set within the context of Jesus' death. Uh, twice in verse 21 and 23, Jesus refers to the hour. And if we read our Bibles, we know that the hour is a, his death and resurrection. Salvation is not found at the temple, but at the cross. It's not found in a religious ceremony, but in the Messiah's death. Salvation from sin and reconciliation with God will only come if we turn from our sin and self-worship and trust in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. She was hoping, and we hope sometimes, that it would be a religious experience would be enough. That we would go and we would worship at the right place. That we, would go on a we could go on a pilgrimage, we could go to Israel, we could go to the temple, and we can worship, and then that means we're in. Or we could, today's terms, we can come and we can get dunked, we can get wet in front of a lot of people, and that means you're in, right? It's not an experience, it's about knowing Christ. It's not an experience, it's about knowing him, it's about following him, it's about loving him, it's about looking like him. Right? The amazing thing is that the Bible, God doesn't leave us hanging. He shows us. He gives us an example of how to live, how to treat people, and how to share this message. So we open up our Bibles and we read. And just what, what the master teacher, he's sitting, a woman sitting in a well and he asks her for a drink. <laughs> what? How easy. And he turns it into a spiritual conversation. He turns it into something that she knows that she needs. And so I ask you, are you, have the, the eyes of Christ, are you looking to be able to share your faith, to share this amazing truth? We, we saw Salome get baptized. Uh, the, the picture that Jesus gives us is that when we, we are buried, we are dying, and we are raised. Life, going from death to life, a miracle is happening. That's amazing news. And yet, we hide it in our hearts and don't share it with anybody. Jesus clearly defines our message. That we're, and he leaves no room for doubt, no possibility for error. If we or to understand and share the message of Christianity, we must focus on sin, the Savior, and salvation. The message of Christianity is not a bumper sticker slogan about doing good things or being a better person. The message of Christianity is a call to worship the God of the universe. It's a call to a soul-expanding, heart-enlarging, world-shaking worship of God who reigns over all. It's a call to turn from our sinful rebellion and to be saved from our self-worship by the power of Christ. And here's the thing. Here's the thing I get hung up on a lot is that no one, 
no one outgrows the gospel. Here's another truth for you, a little nugget. No one outsends the gospel. Nobody. Not even my brother who I pray for and I long for to come to salvation. He can't outsend the gospel. There's, there's never no hope. We serve an amazing God. I'm sure the Christians thought the same thing with the Apostle Paul. There's no hope for that guy. <laughs> He's putting us in prison and killing us. They are even, you read the scripture, they're even weary about him. After years of not doing it, they're still scared of him. There's never, no one's a lost cause. When I think about the, the people in the village of Samaria, right? This woman's a lost cause. Here are a few things that God knows. And I want you to hear, hear these. God cannot be surprised by anything, is not surprised by anything you, about you. God knows you better than you know yourself, if that's possible. And it is. He knows uh, the deepest, darkest secret that no one else knows. He knows. There's nothing that is going to surprise the God of the universe. Another truth is that every sin you have committed and will commit were prayed for on the cross. And they are forgiven. And this is a truth that I need to speak to myself. So I'm sure some of you in the room can relate. Or maybe you know somebody. That God's heart towards you is unchangeable. That nobody, nothing you do, does not change. Right? That's how I live. I live, for years, I wanted to appease my father. And I still do. I mean, don't, don't, here I don't want to. But I was looking for his approval. I was looking for his, his praise. My earthly father. And that was a big struggle in my life. But to know this truth and to live this truth is that God's heart towards me is unchangeable. No matter what I do. He, I mean, we have it all over the scriptures. Right? The prodigal son is the one that jumps to mind. When we are thirsty, when, we are, when we're eating, the pig tr- eating out of the pig trough, right? We're eating slop. God's sitting on the porch with a glass of tall water <laughs> that's going to satisfy. And all he's going to satisfy. Right? And so, unchangeable. His heart towards us is unchangeable. And then the last thing is, it's never too late. <laughs> It's never too late. Today is a day of salvation. It's never too late. Come to Christ and he will satisfy. John Newton, we sing many of his songs. Uh, at the end of his life, he's, he said this about the Christian message. And I think it sums up perfectly. Uh, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. First, I am a great sinner, and that Christ is a great Savior. Let us pray. Father, we come to you, and we thank you for who you are. Father, you are a God that does not give up. You are a God that does not give up on people. You are a 
a precious, precious Lord. And so, Father, forgive us for the people that we have written off. Forgive us for the people that would say, there are, there's no hope for them. Father, forgive us for thinking, maybe in our minds, there's no hope for me. God wants nothing to do with me. That could be further from the truth. And so, Father, I just pray now, as we sing and as we respond, Father, that we would pray. That we would pray. We would ask ourselves, what kind of message am I proclaiming? How am, in my life am I living this out? How am I, in my life am I proclaiming this message? Am I proclaiming the gospel message, the Christian message in such a way that people are jumping over the counter for this water? Are we delivering a Christian message that no one wants to do anything with? That's full of law and rules and not grace. And so, Father, let us look in our lives. Now, Father, may we've uh, never made this profession of faith public. And so, Father, what a great time to come before a family and to do that. And to say, I want to follow Jesus. I, want to, I have considered the cost of following Christ, and he is worth it. Father, bless this time as we sing, as we worship, as we respond to the gospel and to your word. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Please stand. As we stand.